Father, I pray for those individuals who live in South Merritt Island, those individuals who are standing and also those who are not present. Father, we know that uh, by statistics, 75% or so uh, of people who live in Merritt Island are not regularly a part of a church gathering at all. Father, three-fourths of the people that are our neighbors, basically. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us, that this week we would be, uh, we, we would be ready, that our feet would be ready to take the good news that we would take every opportunity that we have to serve others for the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that you'd give those individuals, those missionaries who are standing right now, the chance, the opportunity, and the boldness and courage and clarity to share the message of Jesus Christ, the only message that will change the eternal trajectory of every man, woman, child in this community. Lord, for all of us, I pray we would be faithful to live for the sake of the gospel. And I praise you for this story uh, Pete had shared uh, about how you used that week in Central Merritt Island to give him an opportunity to share the gospel. And Lord, I thank you for the man that was born again through Pete's witness. Lord, we know that you're doing a work, a work through your church. And we know your church is the people, not the building. And so your work is beyond these walls. Be glorified in us, Lord. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys may be seated. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Many of you guys know that before I became a missionary to Florida, um, I was born and raised in the great state of Ohio. You guys heard that? You guys know that about me? Okay, some of you guys have heard that before. This is the only time of year where I actually sort of miss living in Ohio, uh, partly because it's, it's the fall, the change of seasons, the mornings you walk out, it's crisp, the, the air is kind of chilly. Uh, the other thing is we're, we're right in the heart of Ohio State football season. Uh, there's something that happens every fall in the great state of Ohio. Uh, every weekend that a game is played at uh, Ohio Stadium. Over 100,000 diehard Buckeye fans gather there in Columbus to take in a football game. And I know that the common misconception is that everybody from Ohio knows everybody else from Ohio. I get that sometimes. Hey, you know Jerry? Jerry what? I don't know. He's from Ohio. Yeah, I know Jerry. Anyhow, even though that's the common misconception, what happens on that day is that 100,000 people, most of whom have never met one another, cross that threshold and there's a really powerful phenomenon takes place. 100,000 strangers become like family. They come from different places, different ways of life, different generations, different opinions. They all have specific preferences about which home uniform they really like the best or or which offense they hope we're going to run or which song that the band is going to play that day. But they all share one thing. It's a passion for and a goal for their team the Ohio State Buckeyes. So if someone yells out, O-H, see, I knew you wouldn't let me down, peeps. I love how you roll. I love how you roll. We do that to let everyone know we can spell the name of our state. You notice fans of Alabama don't say L-A-L-A. I don't know how they spell their, their state's name. Anyhow, we, we just show our intelligence that way. Anyhow, people who've never laid eyes on one another begin to give each other high fives at different moments. Total strangers hug each other. This has happened. It's amazing. Strangers hugging each other, and then kind of backing away strangely, saying, hey, that was personal space. They share stories, memories, opinions, and then everything stops. When the best band in the land 
comes out on the field and performs script Ohio and the sousaphone player goes out into the middle of the field and he bows and dots the eye and grown men exchange a look and says, I know bro, that one always gets me too. We teach it to our kids. Let me just tell you something. There is a powerful human dynamic that takes place when people gather and they're united around a common goal with a common passion. And to this point, I've just been talking about football, but it's true about sports. It's true about our hobbies. It's true about our work. It's true about our families. It's true about all other sorts of things. When people have a common passion and a common goal, one of the byproducts is unity. They're united with each other. And listen, people, this is true on an infinitely greater scale of the true church of Jesus Christ. On an infinitely greater scale than we can imagine on anything on this earth, that truth is true about the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what our passage of scripture is about this morning. It's about guarding the unity that Jesus Christ gives to his people. So let's read our passage of scripture. And we're gonna begin reading in verse one of chapter two. Philippians chapter two, verse one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a good word, isn't it? It's gonna take us a couple weeks to get through those verses. I'm just gonna tell you, that is the word of God for us this morning. And by God's grace, we'll get through a couple verses. It's gonna take us at least two, maybe three, maybe more. I never really know how long these things are gonna last any given Sunday or any given stretch of time. So let's just make our way through these few verses um, at the beginning of chapter one, just one at a time. And the first thing I want you to see right here at the beginning of chapter two is this. Unity is an expression of the gospel's work in us. Okay, unity is an expression of the gospel's work in us. What I mean by that is if Jesus Christ has grabbed hold of your heart and he's begun to to, to transform you, to make you more and more and more like him, one of the byproducts of Jesus doing that in you is that you become committed to unity. You are united with Jesus and you're united with everyone else who's united with Jesus. Let me show you where I get that. Uh, Notice that verse one is really a description of four or five basic things that should be true of every follower of Jesus Christ. Think about these, I call them gospel no-brainers, okay? These are gospel no-brainers. Just look at this really quickly here in verse one. If there is, now look at this, if there is any encouragement in Christ, okay? 
If any encouragement in Christ is present in you at all, and and let me just give you a hint here. Here's one of the things that you should see. If Jesus Christ has saved you from hell, you should be a little encouraged by that. am 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 I overstating the case? Are you alive at all today? My goodness. I, sometimes I'm wondering, did, did Pastor Richard fill the room with cardboard cutouts? I don't, I'm not quite sure. If there's any encouragement in Christ, and if you are being saved from hell through the work of Jesus, you should be at least a little encouraged by that. Oh, whoa. Oh. Oh. Lord, he was so calm. I mean, I, I was totally not even prepared for that at all. Did, do we have like prompts up here. That is the first time anything like that's ever happened. That is what went in my notes. I don't know where to go from here. Let's just have an invitation. God came. You're good, Lord. You're good. Look at the next one. If there's any comfort from the love you receive from Jesus, listen to me. Listen to me. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've done. I don't know that thing in your life that you're like, I just can't get over the fact I did that. How can I do that? I can't go back and change it. I don't don't know that part of you. The brokenness, the way you've hurt the people that you love the most, you failed them. I don't know that part of your life. I do know this part. God loves you. Does Does that comfort you? At all, teensy, there's a Greek word for that, teensy, weensy, a little bit, does that come for you? Yes, if there's any comfort, if there's any participation in the Holy Spirit, here's what you need to know. If you're, if you're a son or a daughter of God, if you've been born again into the family of God, then the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. If the Holy Spirit's not at work in you at all, then you have reason to believe you are not saved. Romans 8 makes that abundantly clear. All those who are children of God, all those who are of God have the Spirit. So if there's any participation in the Spirit, that's what we call a baseline. It's a gospel no-brainer. You're being saved because the Holy Spirit's at work in you. Look at the next one. If any, any affection and sympathy, and here's the deal. If you're being saved, newsflash, there should be a little bit of affection toward other people an ability to sympathize and identify with the hurt and pain of other people. If there's any of that at work in your life, here's what he's saying. These things are gospel no-brainers. This should be describing everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. If any of this is present in you, here's the deal. If any of that isn't at all present in you, you have reason to say, Jesus, you need to save me. Okay, so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, those are gospel no-brainers. And here's kind of what Paul's saying. If these gospel no-brainers are at work in you at all, then there should be something else at work in you too. All right, look at verse two. Then complete my joy. Okay, I'm happy this is at work in you. Hey, I'm happy those things are in you guys. Hey, I'm happy that you you knocked your pastor over when you clapped so hard that Jesus loved you. Whoa, what a great thing. I'm happy about that, but complete my joy. 
I'm not going to stop there. Make my joy full by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. My joy won't be full until I hear there is another gospel no-brainer at work in your life, and that is this. You guys are united with each other. What do you say in there? So that's why I say that, the, that unity is an expression of the gospel's work in us. See where I get that? No magic tricks, no sleight of hand. It's just right there in the Bible. Unity is the expression of the gospel's work in us. Look how he describes that unity. Have the same mind. There, verse two. Have the same love. Be in full accord of one mind. That's unity. That's just a carryover of what we saw at the end of chapter one. We're called to be united in Jesus to show that Jesus is strong enough to take people from diverse backgrounds, from, from diff- different nations and ethnic groups and preferences and generations and all different walks of life and socioeconomic classes. Jesus is strong enough and good enough and more valuable enough to, to supersede all of those things and unite people together. So we, we already saw that Jesus unites people to show what he's able to do in the lives of of people, something nothing else on earth, not even politics, can bring people together. Can you believe this? Jesus can do it. And that's why it's a gospel no brainer. So it's an extension of what we've already seen. And here's how he describes it it's unity of mind, being of the same mind. Here's what that means you think and believe the same things about the gospel of Jesus. And this doesn't mean that you will, you will agree with every Christian about everything. Unity is not uniformity. Aren't you guys glad about that? I am. So it means I don't have to be like you. No, I mean, it's just that we don't have to be like each other. We don't have to agree about everything. It's okay to disagree without being disagreeable, but it's not okay to disagree about Jesus. So he's saying, be of one mind, about Jesus, think and believe the same things about Jesus. It's not unity for the sake of unity. It's not just unity for the sake of getting along. This is unity for the sake of getting the gospel out. We're united around Jesus, unity of mind, but it's not just a mental exercise. He says it's unity of heart. Have the same love, same spirit, he says it in, and I think verse seven, or 27 of chapter one. It's unity of heart. Our mind is engaged with the truth of the gospel and we rally around the truth because it's true. Then we have one heart. We have the same passion, the same goal for the gospel of Jesus. It's got like parents, husband and wife. They won't agree about everything, but we should, they should have the same goal for their kids. Go that their kids grow to love Jesus. Right? We're united with the same goal. This week I uh, got together with Pastor Corky. Many of you guys know that, uh, Pastor Corky, who's the pastor at Georgiana United Methodist just down the road. He and I are good buddies. We spent some time together this week and we love each other. We're friends. But one of our, our points of conversation was a concern that we have of how many Protestant churches have abandoned the authority of the Bible as God's word and the one and only gospel of Jesus. And in our conversation, we began to just lament how many mainline Protestant churches, even in this community, no longer teach the Bible as though it's the word of God, because it is, and they no longer preach the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. Corky and I don't agree about everything. He does things I wouldn't do. I do things he sure wouldn't do, all right? He has never fallen down on his stage. The man's not a clown, He's a respectable man, grown, knows how to behave in church, mature, bald. But here's the deal. Oh, no, the one thing I said, Corky, forgive me. 
that's going to get back to him because some of you are part of his church and you're just sneaking around seeing what I'm going to say. We wouldn't do the same thing. We don't agree about everything, even the way it should be in church life. All right? Here's what we believe. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He came to this earth and he lived a life we couldn't live, a perfect life, completely obedient to God the Father. Never did anything wrong, ever, ever. Did everything right. So basically blew us all out of the water. The life you can't live, that, that life that's broken, disobedient, that's messed up, that's not the life Jesus lived. He lived the perfect one, the life you couldn't live. Here's the deal. As a result of our brokenness, none of us have lived that life. We're separated from God. Corky and I believe that. We agree on that. That our separation from God because of our sin, if we die in that sin, still separated from God, guess what happens in eternity? We stay separated from God for all eternity. It's what the Bible calls hell. Our sin has a just punishment and it's eternal separation from God. But remember, Jesus is God in the flesh and he lived the perfect life. And not only did he live the life you couldn't live, he died the death you should have died. You hear that? Jesus died the death. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it wasn't just a good man dying, it was God being sacrificed for our sins. And the wrath of God over our sin was poured out on Jesus. Corky and I agree about that. We, We agree about that. And we believe that not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven, he rose again to brand new life. Seriously, literally, bodily, historically, Jesus rose from the dead like there's an empty grave somewhere. So I'd never call, I'd never call this First Methodist Church of Merritt Island. Never. I think there may be one. I'm not sure. But Corky and I agree on that. It's called gospel unity. Here's what we also agree with. It's not just a head game. It's a hard issue. It means that people hearing the message of Jesus Christ matters to us. It means he and I are willing to kneel together and pray together that these people in this community would hear the message of Jesus Christ. We we think it's more important that Jesus' name is remembered more than Corky Calhoun's, more than Titus, whatever his last name is, Tyler, Tyler Breen, whatever that guy's name is. No one can get my name right, by the way. Titleist, is that Tyler, Titleist, Timmy? I don't know your name. It doesn't matter. It's the name of Jesus that matters. You know what that's called? Gospel unity. Unity around the gospel. It's an expression of Christ's work in us. And here's the deal. Here's what that means for you guys. It's just that you meet with other pastors. Here's what it means. If you're a person who is consistently living with discord and division and disunity and relational friction with lots of people, you should be concerned. You should be concerned. And I'm not saying it's always all your fault. They crucified Jesus, okay? That's some relational discord. What I'm saying is if your life is marked by constant division and disunity, that's not a mark of the gospel, especially as it concerns other people who name the name of Jesus Christ. And it's, a, it's not a personality issue. It's a, it's a gospel issue. And I want you to see something in verses three and four. I had to cut this short because I'm just going to look at this, this verse here in verse 3. Paul warns us about something that will destroy the kind of unity Jesus wants us to have and has provided for us. Look at verses 3 and 4. Just notice what he says here destroys unity and what he says will maintain it. And we'll get to what maintains it next week. I'm not going to get there this week. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you see them there? Two things that will destroy unity. Can anybody guess what those two things are? Selfish ambition and conceit. Selfish ambition, it's a word, it actually comes from a Greek word that, uh, that Aristotle used to describe a person who is self-seeking and pursuing a political office. Can you imagine how bad people were thousands of years ago? Self-seeking, looking for a political office, never seen the likes. Here's the deal. What they wanted was not just to serve, they wanted to advance their own career. So selfish ambition is marked by this. I want my own way. You got that? I've got an agenda. I want my own way. So, so that, the I want my own way destroys unity. It's selfish ambition. It's got to be my way or the highway. Selfish ambition. Conceit. So you have selfish ambition, conceit. That word conceit, some of you are reading a version of the Bible where that's translated vainglory. Love that, vain glory. I think the King James says vain glory, empty glory, worthless glory. That's what happens when we exalt something, celebrate something that is not inherently glorious in and of itself, which is everything but God, okay? And you know what the number one thing is that we try to celebrate and exalt more than God? Us, ourselves. Vanity, vain glory is translated conceit because it's the attitude of mind where we try to exalt ourselves in the place of God. So if selfish ambition is I want my own way, conceit is I want the glory. I want to have my own way so I can get my own glory. I want to be celebrated. And here's what you need to know. The I want my own way spirit and the I want to be celebrated spirit destroy unity. But they just erode any chance we have to live in, in, in unity as a church and, and as a married couple and as parents and in a workplace and in a neighborhood. They're just another form of pride, guys, that erode the entire foundation for unity, which is a life that's revolving around Jesus. It's a form of pride that says, I want my own way. My world revolves around me. I want to be celebrated. My world wants to revolve around me. And here's the deal, guys. I really want to challenge all of you with this this morning. Like I, I know the Holy Spirit has to do something that I can't do. I really want to challenge you with these two mindsets of I want my own way, I want my own glory. I want to be celebrated and how that is just wreaking havoc in our relationships, in our community. And so here's how I'm gonna just share this with you. Last year, I was invited to speak out west at a gathering of pastors. Okay, so hundreds of pastors in one place. It's miserable. No, I'm kidding. It's awesome. Uh, it was great. It was so incredibly humbling to be asked to do that. And their theme was having the mind of Christ. So I preached on this passage of scripture. And I just want to share with you what I felt led to share with a room full of pastors, of Christian professionals. I qualified by saying I'm a senior pastor talking to a lot of other ministry leaders. So how about we just apply this to us? These two things, selfish ambition and conceit, should hit 21st century American pastors right between the eyes. We are really deluded if we can't see that selfish ambition and conceit and a lack of humility have done as much as any other thing to keep American pastors from working with other pastors in their community. 
Can you imagine, I said, this is, they didn't know me out there, so they couldn't get my humor, which apparently you guys don't get either. But anyhow, never mind. Emily does. That's why she laughs. She knows me. Can you imagine a pastor using the church of Jesus Christ to make himself look good to advance his career? Can you imagine that? I can. I can imagine a man taking a role at a church with the idea he might stay a few years, take another role at a larger church, stay there a few years so he can get on the radar of another church and go there after a few years. I know God calls people away from their current role in community, but isn't it the least bit suspicious that God only seems to call people to bigger churches with bigger budgets? That's when the room got quiet. Uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Oh, oh, hold on. I didn't stop. There are lots of sins we would never tolerate in our pastors. Lust, greed, drunkenness, but pride is almost rewarded. Personal advancement has become the name of the pastoral game. Leaders are worshiped. Our names, our photos, our bios are plastered everywhere. Our resumes sound like worship songs to ourselves. Listen, brothers, if we're going to get anywhere in church partnership, we have to stop using the church to advance our agenda so we can serve the church to advance God's. The cause, I'm just setting you up, by the way, so I hope you're eating it up. I'm just setting you up. The cause of Jesus Christ in Merritt Island, Florida, doesn't exist to advance my career. I'm not called to pastor First Baptist Merritt Island so I can get on the radar of a bigger church or that my name will be remembered or even thought of highly today. The cause of Jesus Christ in Merritt Island and in the city where you serve exists to exalt one name and only one name, the name of the King of glory, the only Lord and Savior of the church, the name that's above all other names, the only name given under heaven whereby we must be saved, Jesus Christ the Lord. They came back around by that point in time because they would have been embarrassed if they hadn't. They were great. But here's what you need to know, church. I mean that with all of my heart. And I am willing to say that all day long to my peers. And I am willing to say that all day long to you too. The cause of Jesus Christ in Merritt Island and Cocoa and Rockledge and Port St. John and Vieira and Melbourne and Brevard County is bigger than your preferences and your agendas and your comfort and your convenience. The cause of Jesus Christ in Merritt Island doesn't exist to make First Baptist Merritt Island look good or to cater to our selfish whims. It it exists to cause the name of Jesus Christ to be praised as his gospel is declared outside of these walls and in them as well. And here's what that means. If we're really gonna get after reaching every man, woman, child in this community with the gospel of Jesus, here's what's gonna have to happen. We will all have to sacrifice the selfish ambition of our personal agendas in order to embrace the agenda of Jesus Christ. And that principle is absolutely true, not only for this church, it's true for your marriage. 
Do you guys realize marriages in this room are being torn apart because we have a selfish ambition towards our spouse? We want our own way. We see our husbands or our wives as a means to get what we want rather than an opportunity to serve to advance the name of Jesus. And the goal of Jesus is bigger than your preferences in marriage, than your own selfish ambition and desires. So lay them down. Parents and children in this room are being torn apart because we want our own way. So we hang on to our selfish desires. We try to manipulate each other to meet our demands rather than sacrificially serve one another for the sake of Jesus. And we need to know the goal of Jesus for our family and our children is bigger than our preferences and our selfish desires. So lay them down. Your work relationships are being torn apart because coworkers see each other as a threat or an obstacle to financial success rather than an opportunity to serve for the sake of Jesus. And you need to hear the goal of Jesus in your workplace and for your coworkers and for your career is bigger than your preferences and your selfish desires. So lay them down. Lay them down. Because they will erode striving side by side in unity for the sake of the gospel. Back in the mid-80s, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. And there were hundreds of people who were hurled into those icy waters and died. And news of the disaster as it started to come out began to reveal certain details. And the tragedy was made even more dark when the investigation revealed how that accident occurred. It wasn't a technology issue. It wasn't a radar malfunction. It wasn't thick fog. The cause was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby and both captains could have steered clear. But according to the news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other captain. Each one was too proud to yield first. And so by the time they finally came to their senses, it was too late. And I'm sure neither captain thought it would ever get that far, but it did. It sank their ships. And most churches, you need to know, they don't crash over theological controversies or outside persecution, but a whole lot of churches implode because we get too proud to yield first. And that includes us as leaders. Too proud to humble ourselves. Too proud to consider others more highly than ourselves. Too proud to be like Jesus and follow after Jesus and trust in Jesus. And here's what we need to face. It's the same thing in our marriages. Too proud to yield first. It's the same thing in parenting. Too proud to yield first. Same thing with our neighbors and in our workplaces. Too proud to yield first. And I certainly can't apply this to every single life in this room. But here's here's how I want to close this. We'll get to some other stuff next week. Um, I want to ask you to ask God to show you how you are hanging on to your own agenda, your own preferences, your I want my own way or I want to be celebrated. Whether it's a as part of the body of Christ or part of a marriage or part of a family or a workplace, how are you holding on to those? What is Jesus calling you to lay down? To lay down and just trust him with. And here's what you need. 
You need Jesus. He's more than just our example. We're going to see this next week. He's more than our example. He's our only hope of actually living this out. So call on Jesus. So if you would, would you bow your heads? Bow your heads and enter into a time of personal prayer. And and let's just go through this as as the Spirit of God leads you. Just right there, you and God. I want to ask you, first of all, are you trusting in Jesus Christ? You, you, you heard the good news. God became a man. He lived a perfect life. His name was Jesus. He died a death on our behalf so that our sins could be paid for on his cross. He rose again from the dead so that we could have everlasting life through his name. Are you trusting in Jesus to save you? He is your only hope. He's your only hope of being saved. If you've never called on Christ to save you, I want to encourage you right where you are, just call on Jesus. Acknowledge your sin and your brokenness. Acknowledge that Jesus lived the life you couldn't live and that he died the death that you should die. He rose again and call on him to save you. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as some of you are taking up Jesus in a sense, you're you're grabbing hold of Jesus. Others of you are called to let go, to let go of your preferences, the points of pride in your life, the things that are keeping you from serving your spouse, the grudge that you hold on to or the way of doing things that you hold on to. Some of you parents and some of you children are being called to let go of a stubbornness. It's really just selfishness to lay it down so that you can kneel and serve your children or kneel and serve your parents for the sake of Christ. Some of you have friction at work or at school. Is God calling you to lay something down in that relationship, to let go of your preferences, your way of doing things, to say it doesn't have to be my way. I want Christ to have his way so that you can serve someone else for the sake of Christ. Father, we acknowledge that you desire for us to be united with one another, to show what Jesus can do in the lives of diverse people by bringing us together in unity. Father, I want to ask, would you please do a work in us today that we would let go and lay down those things that we're holding on to that are nothing but a hindrance to other people hearing or knowing or seeing Jesus through us? Father, would you allow us to be freed by Christ? To let go of of a spirit that wants to be celebrated, a a spirit that wants to be in control, and to yield that over to Jesus. I pray for homes to be restored, for spouses to be restored, parents and children to be restored, for neighbors to be restored, coworkers to be restored, and to be restored in the name of Jesus so that with one mind and one heart, they would rally around Christ as glorious and wonderful. Lord, would you do a work that only you can do? And I pray that no one would leave this place without having called on the name of Jesus to save them. Lord, I wanna thank you for those who've already been saved today, who've called on Christ for the first time today. Lord, we celebrate that and I ask, would there be more? Would there be more? And I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.